This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley at the Bright Focus Foundation. I want to welcome you to today's Bright Focus chat, Promising New Treatments for AMD. If today's your first time joining us, we'll briefly tell you about Bright Focus and the Bright Focus chat. Uh, Bright Focus funds some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists around the globe that are trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. And today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing that information. And we're very uh, thrilled to have a return uh, guest with us today. Uh, his name is Joshua Deneyev. He is the Adele Nielsen Professor of Ophthalmology at the Shea Eye Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. He, um, he may recognize his name. He's written several articles for our website, brightfocus.org, and has appeared on, um, on several of our chats before. And today's topic, Promising New Treatments for AMD, uh, may get a little complicated in some places. We mentioned names of treatments, so Dr. Janaev and I will, will do the best we can to speak slowly and clearly. Dr. Janaev, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Michael. Good to be with you again. Great, thanks. And Dr. Janaev, um, I want to start off with kind of a general, your general sense about the state of uh, promising new treatments for AMD. Well, Michael, it's uh, an exciting time. Uh, we know, and uh, you know, patients with wet AMD know that there have been great strides made in, uh, in treatment of, of wet AMD uh, in the form of uh, Lucentis, Cilea, and Avastin. Uh, back 10 years ago, if uh, a patient got wet AMD, they would often lose their central vision. And now, with the advent of these drugs, patients often keep their central vision. Of course, the big hassle is that many patients need to have injections every month or two, and that's really a, a huge burden on uh, patients and their families. So I think one of the most exciting things right now is the possibility of developing some longer-lasting drugs uh, that uh, can be injected into the eye and... Uh, last perhaps three or even six months. And there are a couple of ways that uh, people are going about trying to develop these drugs. Great. And related to that, I'd like to uh, kind of mention a few, a few of the names of those drugs and, and have you um, comment a little bit about, you know, maybe their potential for treating uh, dry MD and wondering when they might be available to the public. The first one I want to mention is Lampalizumab, lampalizumab. I was wondering what you could, um, your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, so um, lampalizumab is um, like uh, a number of the drugs that are being used now, um, is uh, similar to an antibody. And um, fortunately, when antibodies are injected into the eye, it's been found that they can be quite helpful, very ther therapeutic and safe, uh, and uh, last for uh, a month or two. Um, so lampalizumab um, is a drug that's actually targeting the advanced dry form of AMD, uh, which is called geographic atrophy. And it's um, currently in advanced clinical trials, phase three clinical trials. It's being injected into the eye uh, once a month, and patients are being followed the primary endpoint of the study is going to be at one year, 
And uh, the goal is to try to slow the expansion of the atrophy or, or stop it. So patients mm-hmm. with geographic atrophy have a patch of um, essentially dead uh, vision cells uh, somewhere near the center of the retina. And over time, unfortunately, that patch tends to expand, which enlarges the central blind spot. So the goal in patients with geographic atrophy is to stop or slow uh, the expansion of that blind spot. And in phase two trials, uh, lampolizumab did seem to slow the progression of the, uh, the uh, size of that, uh, that atrophy. Um, it only worked well in patients with a particular genetic makeup. So the company that did this trial looked at uh, the sequence of a couple of genes related to uh, lampolizumab. One is called complement factor I. And in patients who had a certain DNA sequence for complement factor I, lampolizumab slowed the progression of the atrophy by over 40%, which is really a, a great response, which um, should translate to a visually significant uh, response. So the question now is, in uh, large phase three trials, will this early result hold up? And uh, will the treatment still uh, appear safe and effective uh, when used in over a thousand patients in, in these clinical trials? So for patients with geographic atrophy, I, I think there's some, some pretty good hope uh, on the horizon with, uh, with this clinical trial. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, thank you so much. And one, I know you, you briefly mentioned Lucentis. Uh, uh, in your opening remarks, um, can you tell, tell a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about the possibility of a sustained delivery version of Lucentis. Yeah, so um, Genentech, which is the maker of Lucentis, uh, and also incidentally the maker of lampolizumab, uh, is um, doing a, a trial with a device that can be implanted into the eye. Uh, it's about the size of a grain of rice. And uh, it, um, it stays flush with the eye wall. So most of it is uh, inside the eye, uh, but a very small portion of it is, is flush with the eye wall. It's implanted in the operating room. It takes about typically 15 minutes to implant the device. And the device is filled with Lucentis. And it's a sustained release system, so it slowly releases the Lucentis into the eye, and that extends the time period during which the Lucentis is at therapeutic concentrations in the eye. So in a phase one trial, it looked like this device could continue to release the drug into the eye for about four months. Uh, So what this means is that patients would just need to come back and get their device refilled, uh, possibly even only every four to six months. The way the device is refilled is very similar to the way injections are currently given. Uh, It would seem very similar to the patient uh, to have the device refilled as compared to uh, having a, a Lucentis injection. 
The big difference, yeah. of course, is that the <clears throat> refilling would only happen every uh, four to six months rather than uh, every month. Wow. Oh, no, I appreciate that. That that seems like it's potentially very helpful. Um, before we turn to a couple more, a few more medications, Dr. Denae, if I want to um, ask for your updates on. Another would be Zymora. Um, let's uh, let's get back to Zymora uh, after. Okay. Um, af- I actually wanted to um, talk for just another second about the um, Lucentis oh, sure. yeah. uh, device. Great. Uh, probably people are wondering uh, when this might become available for them. Uh, and uh, currently it's in a uh, phase two clinical trial, which has been uh, fast-tracked uh, by the FDA. So it could that could mean that it will be uh, approved more rapidly than it would otherwise. Um, so when will this actually become available? I would say probably within about two years for the general public if all goes well uh, with, the, uh, with the clinical trials. Well, great. No, that, 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 I appreciate that. It's very helpful. Uh, do you want to discuss Zymora now, or do you want to uh, uh, elaborate a little more else on Lucentis? Um, let's, let's go to, um, like, folic acid now, if that's okay, okay with sure. you. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, so, like folic acid, yeah. So lipoic acid um, is a uh, an antioxidant uh, that's been being uh, tested in, at uh, five clinical sites, and including at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, which is my institution. And it's being tested in uh, geographic atrophy patients. So patients are uh, taking uh, the lipoic acid pill once a day, and uh, seeing similar to uh, the lampalizumab trial, uh, seeing whether this uh, pill can slow the progression of the atrophy. Uh, And uh, this trial will, uh, it's much smaller than the lampalizumab trial, but it is still enrolling patients. uh, And uh, I think we should get the results in about uh, under two years. Great. Uh, Another, uh, another, sorry, Michael, uh, another drug... um, Another drug that uh, I wanted to mention is um, abisopar. Um, so abisopar is uh, also an anti-VEGF drug like uh, Lucentis, Ilea, and Avastin, um, but its, uh, its structure is a little bit different, and um, that enables it to last in the eye a bit longer. So Abisopar, um, in theory, could be injected only every three months, and that would be just a standard injection. It wouldn't need to be injected into uh, any particular type of device. It's just injected uh, right right into the eye. And Abisopar is now in phase three trials, and uh, I think the results are expected in uh, 2018. All right. Great. Um, there's, Any uh, others you'd like to discuss? Well, um, people often ask about uh, Fovista. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fovista is a drug with a different target from uh, VEGF. Um, it's called uh, PDGF, or platelet-derived growth factor. And uh, it's known that platelet-derived growth factor plays a role in the growth of abnormal blood vessels in the eye. 
uh, which is the problem in wet macular degeneration. These abnormal blood vessels leak and bleed. Um, so actually two different drugs have been tried uh, to target PDGF in combination with anti-VEGF drugs like Lucentis. Uh, one is called Fovista uh, and the other is called uh, Renusumab. And unfortunately, very recently, both of them uh, were found to be ineffective uh, in clinical trials. There's a lot of excitement about Fovista because it looked like it was effective in a phase two smaller clinical trial. But once it got to a large phase three clinical trial, it was shown that it did not, did not hand any benefit compared to uh, Lucentis alone. Um, so that's, that's a big disappointment. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's not infrequent that uh, drugs that look promising in small phase two clinical trials actually um, don't do well in uh, phase three trials. That's why it's important to do the, uh, the phase three trial before um, releasing the drug to the, uh, the public. Yeah, and we've actually uh, had a few questions uh, from callers about um, about the, when you mentioned clinical trials. Um, how does someone uh, get involved in a in a clinical trial uh, on for vision disease? Yeah, good question. Um, so the, uh, the the patient's physician is um, in in a good good position to determine whether the patient might be eligible for a clinical trial. So, so the patient's ophthalmologist, retina specialist, in, in the case of macular degeneration, um, would know about uh, clinical trials, and uh, especially for a patient who asks about them and expresses interest in uh, joining one, the physician can look at all of the criteria for the clinical trial. Each trial has inclusion and exclusion criteria. They're looking for specific kinds of patients with a specific phase of their disease. Mm -hmm. And if an interested patient meets the criteria for a particular study, um, then the uh, physician can uh, refer the patient uh, to the investigators who are doing the study. And um, studies are often done at, uh, co uh, coordinated by um, academic centers. Uh, they may also include uh, private practice groups, um, and uh, patients should be uh, very, very aware of uh, who is sponsoring a clinical trial and, and make sure that it's really a legitimate clinical trial. Uh, one thing that they should know is that um, they really should not have to pay uh, for treatments within a clinical trial. If, they're being, if patients are being asked to uh, pay thousands of dollars to participate in a clinical trial, it's um, very unlikely to be a legitimate, legitimate clinical trial. Uh, there are a couple of examples recently where uh, patients <clears throat> had disastrous results um, where, when they were given uh, so-called stem cell injections uh, at a uh, private clinic. The patients seemed to think they were participating in a clinical trial. They did pay thousands of dollars and then they had a horrible inflammation in their eyes uh, that caused them to lose a lot of vision. Oh my. Well, so it sounds like your advice uh, 
uh, is to really you know have that conversation one on one with your physician and to support a conversation like that. I just want to remind our listeners that uh, late last year we put out a, a free publication called Clinical Trials: Your Questions Answered, and that's available free of charge both on our website brightfocus.org. And um, speaking of clinical trials, uh, we have a question from Mark from New York, who's been doing a little bit of research on uh, on clinical trials, uh, different websites, and he is wondering if you could talk a little bit about why a diabetes drug has the possibility to help macular degeneration. Yeah, um, so there's now a clinical trial with a diabetes drug uh, called metformin, um, and uh, metformin has some antioxidant activities, uh, which suggests that it may be helpful in macular degeneration. So macular degeneration involves oxidative damage, which is uh, free radicals reacting with our own proteins and lipids uh, in the retina and, and um, over time causing uh irreparable damage to those uh, molecules and DNA mutations. So uh, antioxidants have um, for a long time been proposed as a potential treatment for macular degeneration. And um, several large clinical trials showed that uh, the uh, certain antioxidants can actually slow the progression of macular degeneration. Uh, that trial was called the Age-Related Eye Disease Study, or ARED, and now um, many patients will be familiar with AREDS because uh, they're taking AREDS vitamins. So the AREDS vitamins are a combination of uh, antioxidants that are given to people with drusen. Uh, drusen are the little white spots in the retina that ophthalmologists can see when they do an exam or take pictures of the retina. And for patients who have a certain number and size of drusen, it's been shown that the risk of progression to advanced macular degeneration is significantly reduced uh, if, if the patients take those uh, AREDS vitamins. Um, so metformin is along the same lines as an antioxidant, and uh, in, in theory, it, it uh, might work uh, better than AREDS vitamins or uh, in, um, in combination with AREDS vitamins um, might, might provide better protection. Uh, but uh, we'll see uh, what happens with the uh, with the clinical trial. Yeah, well, great, thank you. We're getting uh, several more questions in that I want to uh, share with you. Um, uh, Phyllis from New Jersey was referencing um, uh, the lipoic acid comments you made earlier. Um, she says that, that can be sold over the counter in a vitamin store. Is that how does that um, relate to what's being studied in the clinical trial right now? Great question, Phyllis. Um, so lipoic acid is indeed available uh, in um, pharmacies um, and vitamin stores. Uh, but I would not recommend that uh, people take it uh, for macular degeneration outside of a clinical trial. Uh, the reason is that it just hasn't been uh, tested yet. And Certain things that theoretically seem like they should be helpful actually wind up being uh, useless or, uh, in some cases, even harmful. Um, so it's so important to uh, for patients to participate in clinical trials. Some some patients will be reluctant because they know they have about a 50-50 chance of being given the placebo. Um, but that's the only way we can find out if the drugs are safe and effective. 
And if you, if you do participate in a clinical trial, within a couple of years, you'll have helped to uh, find out whether the drug is actually effective, and that'll help uh, everybody. It'll, it'll help the patients in the clinical trial because they'll know that they should be taking that drug, and it'll help everybody else um, who uh, now will know that they, uh, they should be taking it if, if they have certain forms of macular degeneration. Yeah. No, I appreciate those comments. I think it kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit about how, uh, you know, how science works and how new treatments uh, reach the marketplace. We've got three or four questions in the last couple minutes about um, stem cells. Um, I was wondering if you could, you know, it's, it's a big, broad topic, but um, if you could talk a little bit about that, uh, what's, what's new there in terms of macular degeneration? Yes, certainly. Um, so I think the, the most exciting developments in stem cells now are um, the way they can be made. So it's now possible to take uh, a patient's own uh, skin cells or blood cells and uh, add a few genes to them to reprogram them uh, into retinal cells. Really, really a remarkable thing. And um, these, these retinal cells in, uh, in plastic dishes can look very similar to the, uh, the retinal cells that, that we have in the eye. Um, there have been a, a few, very few clinical trials uh, looking at uh, whether implanting these retinal cells is uh, safe. Uh, and uh, several of them have uh, suggested that it can be safe. Although, again, I have to emphasize that if you're interested in, a, in participating in a stem cell trial, make sure that it's a legitimate clinical trial that you don't have to pay for because uh, this disastrous trial uh, that, that happened at a clinic uh, was, was really um, not, uh, not a well-controlled uh, clinic, not a real clinical trial. Um, so the stem cells that are legitimate trials where the stem cells are being implanted they're typically grown on a scaffold, uh, and then that scaffold is unrolled under the retina uh, where the, um, the cells can then take up residence in the appropriate layer of the retina and uh, provide uh, nourishment and support to the retina. The stem cells that I think have the most promise are called retinal pigment epithelial cells, or RPE cells. Uh, the reason I like those is um, because they're not neurons. They're not neurons, so they don't need to make neuronal connections in order to be functional. And the challenge with implanting neuronal stem cells like photoreceptors is that those cells have to establish functional connection, connections between axons and dendrites in, in order to help uh, in, improve vision. And those types of connections are made... Uh, meticulously during the development of the eye. Once an eye is uh, mature in an adult, it's a very, uh, very difficult to ask a, a stem cell to make the appropriate connections uh, with the uh, existing resident cell in order to uh, restore vision. Uh, that's been done on a small scale in a, in a couple of um, experimental systems with, uh, with mice, for example, uh, but the efficiency of these connections is, is very low. Um, and uh, so, so I think, at least for now, the uh, RPE, or retinal pigment epithelial stem cells, 
uh, hold hold out more promise for the short term. Well, great. I appreciate you shedding some light on that because I think uh, similar to our, our discussion of clinical trials, I think stem cells it's a topic that everybody recognizes, but but perhaps doesn't doesn't know. Um, that much about. So thanks for shedding light on that. We have time for maybe one or two more questions. And Dr. Dene, I thought Mary from Texas was asking, are lasers being studied to treat the advanced form of dry macular? That's geographic atrophy. Um, so lasers were used commonly for uh, wet macular degeneration. Um, back before we had uh, anti-VEGF drugs, um, there are a couple of different kinds of lasers that were used. Uh, one, one is called photodynamic therapy, and that was uh, used with um, a combination with the, with the medicine that was given intravenously, and then uh, patients had to stay out of the sunlight for five days. Uh, some of you listeners may remember uh, receiving that. Um, and that worked okay, but um, not as well as the anti-VEGF drugs. Uh, so for the vast majority of patients with wet macular degeneration, they're getting anti-VEGF injections like Lucentis, Thylea, or Avastin and not getting any kind of laser treatment uh, anymore. Um, there was a uh, clinical trial uh, to look at patients with dry macular degeneration to see if laser could make their drusen go away. Uh, very low energy laser. Um, and actually, it did promote the um, disappearance of some of the drusen, but unfortunately did not result in better uh, outcomes in terms of vision. Um, so there isn't, there isn't currently uh, any recommended um, laser treatment for dry macular degeneration, that's the early form, or the geographic uh, atrophy form. Um, there are a few um, uh, clinical trials uh, that are that are ongoing to look at whether different types of lasers uh, might be beneficial, but um, nothing nothing currently uh, recommended or proved to be effective. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, shedding some light on that. Just to remind our listeners, uh, as we said at the outset, Bright Focus funds research all around the world. Um, on many of the topics that we discussed today. And, and whenever there's uh, new developments from the field of research, uh, we, we put them on our website as, as soon as we can. And um, Dr. Janaef, I'd just like to um, uh, conclude, who wouldn't mind, just, just, you know, you've had a lot of experience in the lab and in the clinic. Do you have sort of a big picture uh, advice that you'd give to patients or a big picture uh, perspective about these diseases that you think our listeners would, would find useful? Yeah, yes, definitely, Michael. Um, so many patients, w when they would first come to me, uh, would be really terrified. Uh, they'd be told that they have macular degeneration and really terrified that they're going to go blind. Um, and um, I really like to reassure patients that that's not likely to happen. Uh, first of all, Patients with early macular degeneration just have these little white spots in the retina uh, called drusen, which are detected by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, and they may not even have any vision loss. And those patients, if they uh, have a healthy lifestyle and um, take AREDS vitamins if their doctor recommends it, uh, still have a good chance of not losing any central vision. Um, the, uh, what I mean by healthy lifestyle is uh, not smoking, 
uh, eating a diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables and uh, fatty fish twice a week, uh, meaning uh, salmon, uh, sardines, tuna, or mackerel. Uh, wearing sunglasses when out in bright light, uh, exercising, uh, keeping an eye on, on the weight, um, and uh, and then just monitoring vision at home with a uh, graph called an Amsler grid, uh, which look at one eye at a time with your reading glasses on, and if you see missing or wavy lines, that can be an indication that you've uh, developed some, some wet macular degeneration. Now, as I was saying before, Michael, back 10 years ago, if people got wet macular degeneration, they were likely to lose a lot of central vision. But now that we have these Lucentis and uh, Avastin on ILEA injections available, a lot of patients with wet macular degeneration still keep pretty good central vision uh, because of, uh, of those treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, patients who get geographic atrophy, um, the uh, atrophy is, is uh, likely to uh, expand, but uh, expand slowly over the course of a number of years. And um, as we discussed uh, before, uh, lampolizumab, uh, I think, has a pretty good chance of um, slowing the growth of, uh, of, of that atrophy and uh, we'll, we'll see within a couple of years um, whether uh, that, that could be useful for people with, uh, with geographic atrophy. So the bottom line is that um, the, the majority of patients who come in with Drusen are not going to lose their central vision uh, these days. Um, and uh, even in the worst case, if they do lose the central vision in both eyes, it's just the central vision that's affected. Um, macular degeneration is called macular degeneration because it affects only the macula, which is a very central part of the retina. This is the part that we need for good reading and driving vision, but the whole peripheral retina is uh, usually unaffected, so patients are usually still able to uh, use that peripheral vision uh, quite usefully to uh, read very slowly with the help of magnifiers or closed-circuit televisions uh, to navigate around. Um, and uh, so patients are be extremely unusual for a macular degeneration to become uh, totally no light perception, can't see any, any light at all just from macular degeneration. Um, so, so I think it's important that people have that perspective that the um, outlook uh, for, for any one patient who's coming in with Drusen is, is pretty positive. Yeah, well, no, I appreciate that. I think that, that's good. It's good perspective. It's it's encouraging, and I really think today has been a great opportunity to to hear from someone on the front line of of macular degeneration research, and and um, you know definitely some some encouraging signs for the future. And to our listeners, uh, a minute ago, Dr. Deneff mentioned something called an Amsler grid. That's A M S L E R Amsler grid. Those are available free of charge from Bright Focus. Um, and uh, it's a it's a it comes in the form of a magnet. Many uh, many folks keep it keep it on the refrigerator to do that that um, that self uh, check that that Dr. Deneff mentioned a minute ago. Uh, Dr. Deneff, on behalf of uh, everyone at Bright Focus and all our listeners, I just want to thank you for uh, for being so generous with your time and being so so helpful and sharing sharing a lot of good information. My pleasure, Michael.
All right, thank you. And this concludes today's Bright Focus chat. Thank you very much. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.